O God, you made of one blood all nations that dwell on the face of the whole earth, and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to them that are far off and to them that are near. Grant that all people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your Spirit on all flesh. Hasten the coming of your kingdom through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hi, I'm Chad Bowen, and I'm the pastor of Moore Memorial United Methodist Church, located in the heart of downtown Winona. The sermon that you're about to hear comes to you as a ministry of our church and as a part of our vision to be God's children, sharing the love of Christ through study, worship, and service. We're doing our best to follow Jesus and to bring as many people along with us as we can as we follow him. If you think God might be calling you to follow Jesus as a part of our community, nothing would excite us more than for you to reach out to us in the church office this week if you'd like to know more about how you can participate in our ministries. Email me. My address is chad, C-H-A-D, at morememorialumc.com or call us at 662-283-3804. We're making arrangements to host a drive-in worship service next week and we'll publish the details of that on our website and on our Facebook page, and we would love to have you join us for that. Just search Facebook or Google for More Memorial UMC. That's M-O-O-R-E, Memorial UMC. If we can pray for you, we hope that you'll let us know. And if you'd like to support the work that our church is doing, you can do that by giving on our website or by mailing a check to P.O. Box 467, Winona, Mississippi, 38967. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us in a way that we can understand. If you would open your scriptures to us in a way that impacts not only our minds, but our hearts and our souls that we might know you with all of our being, that we might know that we are loved by you, that we might feel called to repentance by the power of your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has come to save sinners. Amen. Our first reading this morning comes from Psalm 62. To the leader, according to Jedithon, a psalm of David. For alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. How long will you assail a person? Will you batter your victim, all of you, as you would a leaning wall, a tottering fence? Their only plan is to bring down a person of promise. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For alone my soul waits in silence. For my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. 
In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord. For you repay to all according to their work. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from the prophet Jonah, the third chapter, and we'll read uh, all ten verses. Hear this word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The consolation of superiority makes us functional atheists. That's a mouthful. Let's unpack it a little bit. The consolation of superiority makes us functional atheists. The comfort that we find in convincing ourselves that we are not as bad as someone else or that we are better than someone else, which isn't always exactly the same thing, sets all of the wrong standards for our behavior, for our actions, for our desires. It sets all of the wrong standards for righteousness. The worst aspects of someone else's character or someone else's choices or someone else's life become for us the standard by which we judge ourselves. When we look at the brokenness in other people's lives and comfort us that our lives are not as broken as theirs, we feel a little bit superior. We are setting the standard not even by the best humans, but by the worst of our friends and neighbors in their lives. 
for ourselves, which leaves us very far from the perfection of God. When others' sin becomes our standard of behavior to get by, we set a very low bar for God's perfect justice. Maybe an example will help you understand what I mean. You come, one, you come home one day and you look across the street and your neighbor's got a brand new shiny truck. Top of the line, good leather, four-wheel drive, air-conditioned seats, heated seats, everything you could want. And you look at your 10-year-old car in the driveway in need of a wash and say, well, he's probably in debt up to his eyeballs. And later you're driving to pick up some food to go to take back home and the car at the stoplight next to you is rattling and squeaking. And you say to yourself, well, at least I maintain my car. Do you see? You set a different standard for different people about each thing in a way that makes us feel better about ourselves. Or maybe you've seen it this week. If you haven't, you've been blessed. Someone mentions that they like a politician that you don't or that they don't like a politician that you do. And before you know it, someone is on a tear about everything the other side has ever done wrong. What about this? And what about that? What about all of these things that make them a questionable person or their platform questionable or call the whole thing into question? Looking at the worst in others so that we can feel better about the best in ourselves. This is just one of the ways that our hearts find to trust in ourselves instead of in the Lord. By measuring our righteousness against someone else's sin and that's a pretty poor place for us to start, especially when God is so incredibly merciful. We all know the first part of Jonah's story fairly well. Jonah gets called by God to go to Nineveh and be a prophet to them, and Jonah gets on the first ship to Tarshish, headed in the opposite direction from where he's supposed to go. And why? We don't learn the answer until the fourth chapter after the passage that we just read, but I'll spoil it for you today because we're not coming back to chapter 4 next week. He says, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. In other words, Jonah says, I knew, I knew that if Nineveh repented, you would relent from the promises. And I don't think Nineveh deserves it. And I didn't want any part of you, Lord, who are abounding in steadfast love and merciful and slow to anger and ready to relent from punishing. I didn't want to be a part of that. And why does God relent with Nineveh? He relents because Jonah did his job well. He warned Nineveh about the judgment of the Lord. They believed God. And everyone entered into the fast and put on their sackcloth, even the king. When, when the, the text tells us that everyone does it, it then goes back and mentions the king. Because no one expects the king to listen to some random out-of-town prophet about what the Lord, the God of a different religion, is going to do to them. 
But something convicted the whole city of Nineveh. And it was the work of Jonah. And their response, as we talked about a couple of weeks, was not to look at the speck in Jonah's life, but to look at the log in their own eyes. They didn't investigate all of Jonah's past. If they had, they would have known that maybe he wasn't the most reliable prophet. He didn't even listen to God to go where he was supposed to go. He put a bunch of other men in danger when he went the other way such that their ship was almost destroyed. God had to get his attention by swallowing him in the belly of a whale. But Nineveh didn't bother to research all of those things. They let Jonah's message convict them. And they responded. They responded in such a way that they reoriented all of their lives towards the work of repentance and living differently. They fasted. Their animals fasted. They put on sackcloth. They sat in ashes. And they acknowledged that what they had done was wrong. But Jonah had his own sin. He didn't like God's graciousness. He gets angry at God in chapter 4. But Nineveh grieves their sin. Nineveh fasts for their relationship with God. Nineveh changes their behavior. And they learn the character of God that Jonah already knew, but didn't like. That God is merciful, even to folks who don't deserve it. Because Jonah didn't like the idea of people receiving the grace of God. The people of Nineveh experienced salvation because they trusted in the Lord. And Jonah becomes miserable because he doesn't like the grace God gives to these people he thinks don't deserve it. That he thinks are worse than he is. Because Jonah's standard is to judge other people by their worst and not by God's best. And that story brings us right into the psalm that we read as we started today. For God alone my soul waits. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. And then it goes on and says, how how long are you going to attack one another? How long are you going to batter them and push on them like a fence that's about to fall over, like a wall that's about to cave in. How long are you going to do that? How long are you going to take pleasure in falsehood? How long are you going to say, bless your heart in person while you mean something entirely different inside? How long are you going to do that? Trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for you. On God rests your deliverance and your honor. Not on what other people say of you. Not on what insults they might offer to you or criticisms they might bring against you. On God. And the baptism that God has offered to you through the love of Jesus by bringing you into the saving waters with him, God becomes your mighty rock, your refuge, your salvation. Because here's the truth. 
all of us are nothing when compared with the Lord. Those of low estate, the psalm says, are just a breath, as light as the air coming out of your mouth that floats away from you. And those of high estate, it says, are a delusion. They're even less than a breath. They're not even really existent. And if you put them on a balance, the weight of a breath and the weight of a delusion on the one hand, and God on the other hand, the side with the breath and the delusion shoot up like a rocket. That's the way that all of us, kings or peasants, rich or poor, Sinners or saints are in comparison with the Lord. We simply don't have the weight. We don't carry the gravity as the one who is our rock and our salvation. Some of you are afraid of what a new president, of what a new administration will bring. And others of you are overjoyed at the shift in administration. In terms of the hopes of either saving you, They're a breath, a delusion. And the other places that you might find comfort in money that you can earn or in wealth that you have in the state of the economy and the guns you've purchased for protection and the food that you've stashed away just in case, those things can't save you either. When you put on the balance all of those things, Next to God, they are lighter than a breath, too. Power. Power belongs to God. We don't always acknowledge the grand claims that the gospel makes about the world and about how we are capable and not of understanding the world. And one of those things is that for all the ideas you might have about how we could fix the world, the right politicians, the right money invested in the right places, the right leaders in the right positions, the right policy, whatever you think it is. We don't know a thing about fixing the world. Not apart from the Lord. And even if we did, we don't have the strength to carry it out. Whether we're of high estate or low estate, we're just not substantial enough on our own to alter the course of the world. God is powerful. In God, all power rests, and that is good news for all of us. Because it turns out that this all-powerful God, over whom we have no authority, and He rules over us and over our world at all times, He proves Himself over and over again to be frustratingly, infuriatingly gracious and merciful and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. It turns out that despite the fact that in God rests all power, and despite all of our sin and sinfulness that we make excuses for and judge others more harshly for, what God wants to be for us is our rock and our salvation, our deliverance. Our fortress that surrounds us such that regardless of what enemies attack or what things happen, we are not shaken. Not by pandemics that interrupt our usual activities, not by protests or riots or wars or rumors of wars or insurrections or rallies or lies or conspiracy theories 
or exhaustion or isolation or vaccines or masks or anything else. We will not be shaken because although we might be unsubstantial, our God is not. The power belongs to God and steadfast love to you, O Lord. In the Lord, these things come together, power and love. That's what we find in God, which is a remarkable thing. Because most of the time for humans in our sinful state, these things do not live together. Power and love are hard to hold in one body. But when we find them together in the Lord... It is the recipe for safety and for security and for comfort. It's the safety of a papa bear. Power and love together. This is what God offers to you. But if you're so focused on what everybody else has gotten wrong, you'll miss it. Because you're going to be looking at the wrong standard. Because you're going to be paying attention to how you can feel superior to other people and miss the ways that you sin just like they do. And you're not going to, and you're going to miss that it was never up to you to save yourself anyway. It was always up to the Lord, who was the only one who had the capacity to do it. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. This is the message of the kingdom as Jesus arrives on the scene at the beginning of the gospels. And we've given enough of our attention to false forms of power, to money, and to politics, and to everything else. So let's turn our attention to the strength of the Lord, to his frustrating graciousness for others that is a gift to each of us. And let us embrace the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that despite ourselves, God can save us and wants to. Let's pray. Eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we want to be powerful We want to be able to save ourselves. We want to imagine that we are better than others. And in the light of your perfection, in the light of your power, in the light of your righteousness, in the light of your love, we know deep in our hearts we do not measure up. But we ask, O Lord, that you, by your grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit that changes hearts and minds and lives, You would direct our attention and our gaze to you. That you would shape us in your image. That you would give us the strength and the courage that we need to repent of our own sin. That in you we might find grace and mercy and an abundance of steadfast love. This is the deepest desire of our hearts at every moment, whether we recognize it or not. So help us to see it. And help us to embrace you as you seek to embrace us. As we ask in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who became flesh that we might know your glory. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. 
This has been a production of Moore Memorial United Methodist Church. We pray that this offering on the radio is one source of grace for you in this pandemic, one way for you to encounter God's presence and power. If we can be praying for you, if you'd like to support our ministries, we hope that you'll reach out to us in the church office so that we can know about you and know about what God is doing in you and through you and what needs you have from God. All scripture readings in today's broadcast are from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible and are used with permission. One of the things that we do regularly when we're worshiping in person that we haven't gotten to do, especially for those who've been worshiping at home for the duration of the pandemic, is to join together in uh, saying the Apostles' Creed and remembering the content of our faith as it's been passed down by the church for generations. So if you know the Apostles' Creed, I invite you to join along. If not, simply listen to the words and learn more about the work that God has done in the world. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Almighty God has given each of us everything we need to see our lives as a sheer gift from His hand. The Father has created us and sustains our lives daily. The Son has paid for our sins and brought us new life. The Spirit keeps us in our Savior's love and empowers us to live for Him. All glory be to the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May His name be honored and adored now and forevermore. Beloved children of God, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love for you and keep you in his peace. May you receive strength to grow in faith, hope, and love, to live with joy and light, and to give God thanks and praise. Amen.